Hello, and welcome to the Evolution Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Ferraro, here with my co-host, Dave Sanders. Here we're going to kind of pick up our conversation from our grab bag of topics that you guys have submitted over to us. Uh, if you didn't catch part one, I recommend you do it. Uh, that'll help you. We covered a lot of things considering the AAF, the XFL, and a bit some NFL. Uh, we're going to pick up, uh, it's going to be a little bit of baseball, a little bit of basketball, a little bit of auto racing, sports rivalry, just some good stuff here. Um, Dave, let's just kind of jump right in. Uh, Fox Sports had their unrivaled Gordon versus Earnhardt out. Did you watch it? Yes, and it was incredible. I've watched it two or three times now, I think two and a half times. Um, so for those that don't know, we grew up watching NASCAR uh, big time back in the day. Um, 26 years ago, we did NASCAR hats for your birthday. That we did. That was good. Yeah. That was a good time. I think I still have it, actually. Yeah. So for context, we were five. It wasn't like we were 20. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it was it was incredible. It was an hour um, just specifically on the rivalry between Gernhart, Earnhardt and Gordon. Um, what was your favorite part of it? For me, I think um, I think the favorite part was, you know, they did some interview. You saw a lot of the A, the home videos uh, and yep. the old school videos. I really love those things where you get a little bit of it. Um, I think the Earnhardt story has been told a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know CMT did their Dale, which I have the entire box set, which comes with five DVDs, has the 98 Daytona 500, has his last win in 2000 at Talladega. Like, it's it's an incredible set. Yeah. Uh, but for me, really, I think it was the where the one that always stuck out for me because I watched it like three times. Me and my wife watch it was Dale Jr. talking about how his dad and Jeff Gordon would talk so much off track about, hey, how can we play this up? Yep. I never realized how much they were a part of the rivalry. We knew the fans, the three fans hated the 24 fans and vice versa. And they were different fan bases. You know, Jeff came in as the almost GQ guy from California where Dale was more Southern, you know, typical NASCAR driver, if you want to say. Um, so they definitely had different roles to play. But it was cool to see, to your point, how they worked on the marketing together. But it all started because they didn't, you know, Dale didn't like Jeff coming in and, you know, being the new guy who was winning some and taking some of the spotlight away either. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's blue collar, white collar. Yeah. Uh, you know, Earnhardt's your typical, you know, I've got my farm, I race, you know, I, I he was a high school dropout, if you don't know. So, you know, and then, like you said, Jeff Gordon came in, Mr. GQ, uh, you know, clean cut, slick back hair once he got rid of the mullet and the mustache where he was trying to be Dale. Um, yep. I think it was funny to hear Jeff talk about, you know, yeah, they came in with the gargoyles, had a mustache. I wanted to be Dale, and, and he wasn't. Uh, so I think it was a really great – they did a good job really keeping it to that rivalry and not getting bogged down and then kind of leaving where what, what would have been. Right. Yeah, and they, for those that don't know, they ended it with Jeff at Dale's Memorial back in his hometown, which was a really, really cool way to end it. I know Dale Jr. tweeted out, you know, how emotional it was for him, but that was – a really cool way to have Jeff talking to Dale about what could have been. Oh yeah. And then this is one of those things that, and I know for me personally, it a lot changed on February 18th, 2001 when Dale died. Um, I wasn't, my brother was an Earnhardt fan growing up. I was a Bill Elliott guy myself uh, just cause I had to pick somebody else and Bill drove a red car. Red was my color. So, uh, you know, that's where I'm at, but you know, and we'll, we'll probably discuss this more on a, on a separate pod when we talk NASCAR on pods. So we'll get that out forever but would have been yeah there's i mean it's a rivalry in sports it seems kind of crazy to compare it to yankees red sox lakers celtics 
uh, Carolina Duke, but it drove up the sp- in the ratings for the sport, and it was just so instrumental to its success. And there's just nothing like it now in that sport or in other individual sports now with Tiger not really being as much of a threat. Uh, it just takes you back to those days where that was a huge deal, not only where your guy finished, but then where the other guy finished as well. Exactly. And and from a from a money-making standpoint, like you said, Earnhardt bought you a dealership, Gordon bought you a G6. Uh, so we, that's kind of where it went. We went from the dealership to the boardroom. Yeah. Well, like, there's not a, you know, it's hard to find another rivalry in sports that just stopped. Wow, one guy was pretty much at his prime, and the other guy was trying to get back to the top. Right. Uh, you know, you brought up Tiger. You know, there was Tiger Phil, but Tiger whooped Phil's ass right. most of the time. You know, was Tiger was everybody else. Every week, really. Yeah, so, I mean, that was that was much-watch golf. So, there's, that's probably one of the closer ones, but it, it, it's hard to find another really kind of one-on-one matchup between athletes. Yeah, I definitely missed that. I mean, we're going to transition next to baseball, and they're it's more of a, a more of a regional sport than anything. I know Red Sox Yankees is still big, and like I mean Dodgers Giants is big, um, but there's just not that that pull for the sport. Um, I guess getting into that is, are the star players marketable enough? We've talked about that a bit in the past with Manfred's comments, but I guess what do you make of this baseball offseason? Because it seems like it dragged out so long. There was huge names out there. I mean, it's it's very rare to have 26 year old superstars in their primes. You know out there for the taking without having to give up much compensation, really just the second round draft pick. Um, so what do you make of how that all played out, especially with Harper and Machado? Uh, I mean, we've talked a bit of baseball in previous podcasts. If you haven't caught that, go back and definitely listen to it to get a little bit more thoughts. So I won't rehash those. It's a problem. That's the, really the only way you can put it is you have two superstars in Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. who You can't tell me there's not every team that wouldn't love to have either one of them. When you look yeah. at what, what they went for, they were reasonable values. Yeah, 10 years at 300 million and 13 to 330 sounds like a hell of a lot of money. It is. But from a value standpoint, it's pretty damn good. Exactly. I mean, because on those front end years, you're going to profit so much over what they're making that the back end years are they're kind of like a sunk cost. But in overall, you're not buying these guys like Pujols at 31. You know, you're getting some prime years, probably five or six good years here. Yeah. Now paying Harper 20, I think it's 20 million at, at age 40 is going to be an issue, but yeah, yeah it happens. That should have gone in his earlier years. Yeah. He's underpaid right now. Yeah. So yeah, he's underpaid right now. So it all bounces out and gives him a chance. So if, for me, if you look at baseball, the offseason's all totally jacked up anyway. If you look at the NFL, we're talking combine, we're talking what's going to happen if we ate, like there's a buzz going. Same thing happens with the NBA. You know, what's, what's going to happen with Anthony Davis? Is it worse? He's going to go. Is it gets messed? You know, what's going to happen? There's none of that in baseball. No, there's none of it. Um, I know our buddy Matt Winkleman was on earlier to talk Phillies um, and prospects. He, he's he been pretty passionate about this. We're going to try to get him on a, a podcast soon. Um, but it really is, you know, an issue with the sport. I don't know how necessarily they fix it either because it's a waiting game. Um I don't know if you saw the clip that came out. I think it was yesterday. And it's Harper getting off the plane with Scott Boris and then John Middleton and his wife are there to greet them. And Middleton and Boris are talking and you can hear him mic'd up. And they're joking about, yeah, I'm glad this is resolved. And then Boris is like, you're a patient son of a bitch. And he's like, and Middleton comes back that you're a good negotiator. Um, so, I mean, they're just waiting each other out. And I don't know how you get around that because they're, 
spring training, while it's important and while we love it, Harper is going to be ready for the season. So I don't know what we do to really speed this up next year. It's, it's, I don't know necessarily if you need to speed it up, but like Harper to the Phillies wasn't a surprise. I think, I think Machado going out to San Diego, that was, that was kind of a bigger surprise because you don't think that San Diego spending money. But we even, you know, we looked at kind of where baseball is at. There's a lot of teams that just don't want to spend money. Uh, and it's one of those, I don't need every team to spend, to do a 10 year, $300 million contract every year, but spend some money. Yeah. And the argument, I know Manfred's made this argument um, that spending isn't required to win. But in a way, spending is related to winning or they wouldn't have a luxury tax. And the thresholds that if you spend over this amount for competitive balance reasons, you have to pay the other teams. So it seems like that doesn't fully align with what he's been saying recently, at least in my opinion. I, I agree. Um, you, if you want to put a, a soft cap with that luxury tax, then there needs to be a floor. Right. Uh, you know, you're looking, you're looking at teams that aren't spending any money. And that's the, kind of the, the big deal. I think that, that Matt talks about is if you look at the bottom 10 spending teams, you know, Tampa Bay's at 56 million. Uh, well, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado cost $56 million combined. So now they've got an entire roster that's less than that. And I'm not asking, and some of those, there's some, some surprising names on this list. I get Tampa Bay not spending money. I get Pittsburgh not really spending money. The Marlins aren't spending money because they had to pay so damn much to buy the team to begin with, and Jeff Lee Laurie is an idiot. So it's, that's all jacked up. But you look at the Chicago White Sox. Um, they've won a World Series. In the, you look at uh, a Texas Rangers. They were close. You look at Atlanta. Atlanta's one of the bottom 10 spending teams, and they went to the playoffs. Yeah, and even the Cubs, the Cubs have spent a lot of money, but their players are mad that they didn't make any, you know, investments this summer. So it really, sports going through an interesting period where I think in the next CBA, we may see some changes. Um, it's definitely being talked about a lot. I don't know how much of it is positive that's being talked about the sport, but it, the only positive about this is that everybody's hyped about Machado and Harper signing now, and it leads in nicely to the baseball season. But that's the only positive I can find. Yeah, but the, the hard part for me there is we waited till March to sign them, or we or end of February. It's like so we were already ramping up for spring training anyway. So your your core baseball fans are already excited for baseball being back. Fair. And I'm not asking every team out there to have a 250 million dollar payroll, but there there's enough talent out there right now, and you can go look at the you know the unsigned. If you can go Twitter and just or, or Google and search, you know, unsigned free agent baseball top ones, and you could build a competitive roster with the guys that are not signed. Right. It's not going to kill these teams to spend twenty million and have a de- and, and make improvements and not be looking like you're tanking and just sucking in profits. Yeah, I think the floor to your point, maybe it ties back into the revenue that the sport generates, because I know Harper got the question in his introductory press conference that, you know, you make this $330 million contract. What do you say to fans that say that's a lot of money? And he said, well, baseball last year, I think it was brought in 11.4 billion. So maybe making the floor a percentage of the revenue that comes in and goes to the teams, maybe that's something they can do. Yeah, it's definitely fine in the number, but I think the Harper has generated a lot of buzz. Um, he's already doing a great job enduring himself, Philadelphia fans. I'm, I'm really excited for him. Um, I've got some salty, salt, national talking a lot of smack but um what do you make of the harper i guess we can call it tampering if you really want to uh talk about mike trout and i've already got ready to call him and we've talked about it 
Yeah, I like it. Um, it's very 2019. It seems to be like a play, you know, out of the NBA playbook uh, that these guys want to team up together. And I know as fans, we, we you know, focus so much on the rivalries in the front of the jersey. And, you know, Yankees fans hate Boston fans. But you've seen players go between that rivalry and maybe it's not as big of a deal to them. And it seems like these guys want to play, you know, with other great players. So to me, it's where we are in sports in 2019. Um, I don't think it's a big issue because, I mean, how can you prevent it? In the NBA, you can't prevent it. It's guys talking. Do you think there's anything that can be done to prevent it? Do you think it's a big deal even? Not even. I, I could care less. I love it, actually. It's it's one more. Now you got people talking. Ooh, is Trout going to come over? Trout's coming, and I'll hand him 10-year, 10, 10 $450 million contract. I could care less. Hand him in whatever Mike Trout wants to come to Philadelphia. Sign the check. Um, they're already making plenty of money. Like I said, it's hard for me to cry Oh, I feel bad for the owners having to pay some money. Well, their franchise is worth billions. They're making money hand over fist in these TV deals. They can afford to pay these guys out. So I'm excited for it. I'm, I, let them tamper. Tell me you want to get play with Trout. You know, recruit whoever you want. Let's do it. You know, it's, it gives you something to chat about. It gives some folks a little bit more chatter and some good stuff. I think the Angels are just butt hurt. They're crying. The Harper's talking. Oh, he's trying to trying to bring Trout over. I don't care. Roll with it. And some of this stuff in the NBA is what drives the fan interest, especially the younger fan base. When you get, you know, some of this stuff happening publicly on Twitter and these quotes really standing out, um, it actually could be a good thing for baseball. If this becomes possibly the norm that Red Sox players are recruiting, you know, guys over to their team and so on. I think the most interesting aspect of the press conference was that when he was asked about not having an opt-out clause in his contract, and for those that aren't familiar, an opt-out clause would give Harper a chance to become a free agent uh, and waive the final years of his deal. He said that Boris invented the opt-out, which probably is true, um, but that he specifically asked not to have one. And I think sometimes we forget about the human nature side of this, that he's been hyped up since he was, you know, so young. And it's always been, when's he going to go to the Yankees? When's he going to go to the Dodgers? You know, they have six years of control, but what's going to happen after the Nationals? That maybe he's grown tired of some of that stuff, and he just wants to be in one place, sign this deal, and say, I have a no-trade clause. I don't have an opt-out. I'm not moving. You know, I'm set here. I can, you know, have my family, you know, grow in this area. And then he can, during the season, he doesn't have to deal with those questions. Will he opt out? Will he not opt out? Will the Phillies trade him? None of that's an issue now. Um, So I think in the era of, you know, 2019 where we're seeing – more player movement than ever and guys, you know, not staying on teams for long times. Um, it's actually was pretty cool to see. As we transition over to the NBA, because we talked about tampering and, you know, the whole Anthony Davis saga that happened now and LeBron sitting on the edge of the bench. Um, you know, is this it for LeBron? And I don't mean it by being he's washed up and he's never going to win again and he's terrible, but he is in his 30s now. He's getting older. You know, I personally, I think the minutes are starting to wear up on him. Uh, his knees are rough. I, I'm i just worried about, hey, have the minutes finally caught up to LeBron. He doesn't take a lot of games off. Uh, so for me, when you talk about LeBron taking time off, I don't really know if it, if it works or not. So look at LeBron, I say, from the dominant being the X factor in NBA, is it finally finished? I think it is. What do you think, Dave? It's the start of the decline. Um, I was hesitant to think that when he went to go, you know, out to the Lakers, it was a business decision more than anything. I thought he'd always expect Anthony Davis and guys that to come out there sooner. 
but some of the metrics are hard to ignore. I've seen that he's the second slowest player on defense this year behind only Dirk, who's walking around out there in pain. I think it's the beginning of the end, not quite the end, but we're seeing a different LeBron. How about you? Oh, I agree 100%. I, uh, it's LeBron, as I was saying there, because uh, I know you had a little bit of technical difficulties. It's not the end of LeBron uh, as far as being a good player, but it's LeBron being the guy in the fourth quarter that can take over, that's going to carry the team on his back. I think it's done. I think it's, the minutes have caught up to him. He's in his 30s. This Laker team is not very good, and he's kind of found out that this isn't before where a whole bunch of teams are bad in the side, and I can just, you know, I can put a, play well and then be good for a bit. So I think he's he's finding out real quick that it's not quite as easy as he thought it was. Yeah, and Rasillo has talked about this on his podcast a lot over the last couple of years that LeBron's been conserving energy on defense to you know make sure he can go full out on offense, and it's hard for him to do both sides of the game. Um, now we're seeing those clips go viral as it becomes more of a topic on first take and all those shows. He's not making the playoffs, and you see the embarrassing clips of him like barely trying on defense or. I think it was two days ago that Kyle Kuzma had to push him towards his guy he's supposed to be defending. Like, go, LeBron, go. Um, so it's just – it's funny to see it play out because he's always been in the finals every year for as long as I can remember. Yeah, he's been able to – because the whole thing was, you know, he's he's always made the finals in however many straight years, and he's always never – for a while, was always did by himself. He carried them there. He's never had help. Then he went and got, you know, D-Wade and – and Bosch, and then they then they won their title. They keep going. Then he went back, and it was him and Kyrie, and he blows up the roster. I think the most telling thing for me, though, with the Lakers is there's the shot that came out a few weeks ago after the Davis thing didn't fall through. He was down at the end of the bench with four or five seats in between him and the rest of the team. So I think that was kind of the big one for me where it was LeBron by himself, and it was like, oh, uh, this isn't – you know, as easy, like I said earlier, it's not as easy as he thought where it was just, no, LeBron's got this. He's going to take him to the playoffs. They'll make, you know, third or fourth round. He'll bring in Anthony Davis next year. He's good to go. Yeah, agreed. I don't think he thought this was the plan either. Um, what I can't get over is the guys he brought in to supplement the young players, like bringing in Rajon Rondo, who can't shoot and really hasn't been part of a winning team in a while. That seemed like an odd fit. And the numbers with Rondo, every single lineup that involves Rondo is the worst lineup in terms of like PER, like efficiency stats, uh, true plus minus. I think Tom Havistro was outlining that last week. It's because Rondo's not any good. Rondo hasn't been good in, in five, six years at this point. This isn't Rondo, him, uh, Paul Pierce, and KG. Like, Rondo's bad. Yeah, and if Lonzo balls a lot better than you, you're not that good. No, I mean, it's, it's terrible. But, um, you know, speaking of, you know, Boston and 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 Miranda was what's going on with Kyrie, man? I can't figure it out. When he made that promise at the season ticket holder event over the summer and said, you know, I'm looking forward to staying in Boston, basically committed to it. That was unnecessary. Maybe it got the questions off his back for, you know, some time, but it just seems odd to now be so openly speaking about, well, I'm not tied to Boston. I didn't say I was going to stay. Um, and the interviews he does, and, you know, he's one of the flat-earth truthers. I, I don't get it. And do you? Not at all. Um, I, it, like you said, that whole, you know, preseason thing, we're talking the season ticket holders. Uh, then, the, you know, I called LeBron. I was like, yeah, I totally get it now. Where It's hard with the, the young guys, and you have to be – you'll carry them kind of deal. I was like, that's not way to endear yourself to any of the young guys on that team. Yeah, right. Now, I have a theory that people who talk about being leaders aren't leaders. 
And he talks so much about it now and how much he's learned. But what he's doing for the young guys in Boston is not leading. No, um, he he's yeah. I think I I agree with that. Actually, the kind of way you put it, you know, the guys that talk about being a leader, I'm gonna be this leader, I'm gonna step up and do this. You rarely ever do. Um, it's the guys that don't get told to do it, that don't have to come out and say they're being leaders that are leaders. Yeah. So does he leave Boston or does he stay? I think he leaves. It's odd that the team's worse now that he's back and Gordon Hayward's back. Um, but even some of the guys who got hot last year, like Terry Rozier, he's not who he was in the playoffs last year. He's he's a good maybe sixth man, um, you know, combo guard, but he's not what everybody thought. Maybe he's a future starter in this league and future, you know, cornerstone of a team. The Boston, I just can't get past, like, they should be right there with Milwaukee, Philly, um, Toronto, right in contention, but they're – they're not playing up to the standards that everybody thought they'd be at. Is it saying more about Brad Stevens then? Because, I mean, he was supposed to be, you know, because Steve Kerr was the man and then Luke Walton was supposed to do it. But I think Luke's finding out that life with LeBron is not all it's cracked up to be. But, you know, Brad Stevens was supposed to be boy wonder, the genius. Look at what he did. He's out coaching everybody. Is I think it's, it's a good question. Not a lot of people are asking that, really. Um, I I still side with Brad Stevens, and this is a lot of guys to manage, a lot of egos to manage, and it seems like they're they'd be just doing better with a smaller rotation. So I want to see next year they should rebound, but if not, then maybe you look at Stevens a bit with it. Um, it kind of reminds me of like if you play, if anybody out there plays NBA 2K, and you know you have only a certain number of minutes to give out, and then your guys on the bench get pissed and they don't play as well. And it seems like that's kind of the case here. Their roles are just becoming a huge issue. Adding in two starters to a team that was already pretty good. Maybe it's not always going to work out. Like, we think it just makes them that much better. Yeah, trying to build an all-star team, and, yeah, and it's not really working. I, I, the only thing I, I guess my only caveat with Stevens is we've been hearing, you know, with whether you know Jason Tatum and that that whole move because of the, the Fultz saga and all that, I, I, I just expected him to be better. That's just me, though. Yeah, this year's been a disappointment. Jalen Brown's been a big disappointment. Um, and those guys had to really step forward and be the true stars because Al Horford is declining. Um, and some of the other role players, and you almost need guys at the end of your bench who know what they are and don't expect minutes and don't go in there and just be the irrelevant competence guy like um, Rozier can be at times. And just knowing your role and kind of letting the stars be stars. I think Philly's working through that right now where you're putting together these four guys who have at different times in their careers been number one options except for Ben who's always kind of been deferring to um, Joel, but it's it's tough to fit guys around there. You really need catch-and-shoot guys. You need guys who don't demand dribbles, they don't demand the ball, and Stevens definitely has his work cut out for him the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, how do you see the East ending up then? Since, you know, we're casting question marks in Boston, Philadelphia still figuring it out. Now they've kind of got a, the core four uh, that they're able to work around, but the bench has been, yeah. I think the East is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, we you typically don't have this much uncertainty going into the playoffs. And you have four really strong teams, at least on paper. Um, I don't know. What, who would you say is the favorite on paper right now? Um, Toronto, but I, I probably wouldn't nail me to an answer. Um, yeah. I think it all depends on the day. I think Boston's got its question marks. Uh, Philly's got its question marks. Um, as far as how they can, like you said, there's a little bit managed egos, but we kind of figure all that out. Um, Milwaukee's got G. I mean, he's the man, but 
then you look at Kawhi up in, in Toronto. So there, there's a lot. It's going to be the semifinals of the East and the finals of the East is probably going to be the best playoff basketball you're ever going to see. Yeah, I think so. Um, with this many stars concentrated to those teams and what Milwaukee's done with Budenholzer is incredible. I mean, under him, they've basically undone everything that Jason Kidd did and allowed Giannis to just be himself. And he still doesn't have to shoot and it doesn't matter. Um, people that say that Ben has to shoot, he he does have to get some kind of shot, but he never has to be like a competent shooter. And he's just surrounded him with shooters. Malcolm Brogdon's developed into a really nice player. Um, they've got Brooke Lopez. They're shooting threes. It just, it all makes sense there. And, and there's, their system's awesome. Toronto, as you mentioned, Kawhi. Um, and when Kawhi's fully engaged in the playoffs and not taking nights off to rest, they're going to be dangerous. And then I think Philly's right there with them, though. Um, having guys like Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris who can take some of the load offensively. And if one guy's feeling it one night, he takes over. And then you've got JJ as the fifth best guy, JJ Redick. Um, I like their chances too. So those are the three favorites to me with Boston being the only other one that can come out of the East. And unfortunately, Indy no longer really in contention without Oladipo. Correct. Uh, like I said, Philly to me is a really intriguing one. Um, if they can kind of get that balance and figure it out as far as how many touches Embiid needs, how to get him his touches. Uh, Cause you, you got to figure there's no place at this point when you're playing Philadelphia that you can hide somebody. Um, right. You know, you can't give Kyrie, you know, half the floor off or, you know, we talked about LeBron being lazy on defense so he can, can suck it up for offense. You can't do that against the Sixers right now. Uh, Cause if you, where are you going to put them? You're going to put them on Jimmy Butler. Well, Jimmy's just going to own you. Yep. Uh, you, you know, you're going to put them on, you know, Embiid. Well, it's a mismatch unless they're a big man. You know, you're going to put them on, you know, Ben Simmons. Well, you might be able to slack off a little bit, but if Ben hits, you know, one or two outside shots and all of a sudden you got to come back out and, and, and guard him, you know, you put him on JJ. Well, JJ's going to run circles around you. Right. You're going to spend more energy trying to chase JJ than you're going to do anything else. So it's if they can put it together and get a, a couple confident guys off the bench to, to give some minutes to give their guy, big guy, big four a rest, I think they can go far and be incredibly dangerous. Yeah. My biggest concern with Philly, I guess, is Redick on defense. Kind of got exposed a bit there in the Golden State game. Uh, but they're just going to figure out how to help and play team defense around him so he doesn't get isolated in one-on-one matchups that just he shouldn't have to guard you know wing players that are you know, four or five inches bigger than him. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of kind of working how you're going to work your switch defense so you can hide J.J. on defense, basically is the way to put it. Because um, you, like, you should have guys that are competent enough to be able to handle it. So, Yeah, exactly. I know we got great feedback from the Jimmy McCormick pod um, back when we talked to Hinky a couple months ago. We'll try to get him back on again for the playoffs. Um, I know since he does NBA fantasy stuff for ESPN, he's pretty um, knowledgeable about all these teams in contention, especially even their rotations and getting down to – know some of the guys deeper on their bench so that's probably hopefully in an upcoming episode but um want to thank everybody for you know downloading these two pods we haven't done as many recently but we're gonna get back in the swing of things here um drew any closing thoughts uh no i just want to tell everybody you know like rate subscribe find us out on twitter uh the more comments you give us the more feedback you give us the better we get uh the more we talk about things you like we've got a lot of good things lined up here in the spring uh, whether it be fantasy football, whether it be a little bit of NASCAR, we're going to have, you know, start of the MLB season, we've got the NBA playoffs. We've got a lot of great things to talk about. Uh, the goal is to continue increasing our guests and having guests that you guys want to hear from and get a few of the big names. Like I said, like, rate, subscribe, let us know how we're doing. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Drew Ferraro 88 You can find the podcast at Evo Sports Pod. And where can they find you, Dave? 
Sanders 877 uh, and we want to thank you guys for listening again. 